Hi guys, welcome to Across the Pond. I'm here with my good friend Mark Malone over there in the US. The point in this is we, we kind of compare the UK to the US and we started doing this during the whole COVID Rona um, experiment. And now that's lulled down a bit. I find that people are letting their guard down here, especially. And then you get kind of things, um, you get the uh, news um, that China, parts of China have locked down. And isn't it funny that they've now gone into where we were a year ago and a year ago we were getting pictures sent to us that they were all having parties on the beach and uh, what was happening. What is your take on this, John, uh, John and Mark? You know far more than I do um, about these things. And then we'll get on to what you're doing now as well, because, yeah, I'd like to get your take on that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think the same thing's happening here. So I just moved to South Dakota about two months ago. And I'm sure most people listening will know that South Dakota is pretty much the only place on earth that never had a lockdown, that never had any COVID restrictions. So um, I'm in the freest place in the world, which is kind of interesting. And um, so, COVID, yeah, so South Dakota never had a COVID-19. There was never a lockdown, even the first one in March of 2020. There was never any COVID mask mandate. It's certainly never any vaccine or vaccine passport mandate. So it's really... Um, you know, really interesting place. It's kind of like being in Switzerland, which was like neutral in World War II. Mm -hmm. So the entire Europe and the entire world was like being decimated, even as far as Japan and Russia. But yet this little tiny place in the middle of, in the center of Europe was fine. Kind of like what South Dakota is like, you know, you, I came here and I was getting my hair cut by a hairdresser, obviously. I mean, I don't that's just what, try to that's find what they do. That's what I try to do. I try to go to someone that's a hairdresser for haircuts. So I would, you're a smart man. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I've been I've been known to be, and this is definitely my smartest moment. So <laughs> I went to a hairdresser and not a random guy on the street. Yeah, and I was speaking to her about it, and she was, and I was talking to her about like what was it like here when the rest of the world was shutting down, and you didn't. And she was just like, we just, uh, we just expect that that's what you should do. Like you don't interfere with people's liberty. And so they, she was basically saying they just take it for granted here that that's how the people are. And I was like, yeah, unfortunately, that's not how most people are. So uh, that's not how it happened for the rest of us. So uh, I live here. So it's, it's, I'm an even worse example than I could have been before now, because even if COVID were to make a huge comeback, it won't make a comeback here anyway. Mm. It never made a come in, let alone a comeback. So I guess from that perspective, it's really hard for me to give like a direct on the ground experience. But looking across sort of the media and the responses, and the general wider population, I think is the same situation that you're seeing um, and the same situation we're seeing everywhere. Literally just like overnight, people go from COVID to Ukraine yeah, and they seamlessly transitioned and people, yeah, people have gone with that transition. But I guess that the concern is it has made people complacent, hasn't it? Like people are now thinking, oh, well, you know, it failed or it, it just ran out of steam. I don't think it has, by the way, but I do think people are complacent, you know, and is that what you're seeing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, even to the point where a lot of people don't know what to do with their anger. Mm. They've still got all this built up two years of anger and they don't know what to do with it. So they're displacing it from um, obviously Ukraine, Russia, and it was all Putin for two weeks. It seems to be a two week block. People can only handle it for now. They're all angry at Will Smith for, for <laughs> something ridiculous. And there'll be something else in two weeks. Um, so, yeah, I've seen displacement of anger. Like, in, it says here, one of the articles I just put up from Reuters, 
which is <laughs> take and leave it if you believe it or not. Um, China has announced its biggest city-wide lockdown since the COVID outbreak began more than two years ago. The city of Shanghai will be locked down in two stages over nine days while authorities carry out COVID-19 testing. So it's still bubbling along. It's 25 million people bubbling along in the background. They're almost like it's like an ambient threat that's there now. And you know it's mm-hmm. not gone away. I think we're gonna. They're talking about a fourth jet, fourth booster here in for the over sixties. In and then they were talking about actually having it for young kids now, five year olds here. But it's all bubbling along. It's all disappeared underneath, and it's all kind of like a like a Loch Ness monster. It's kind of ready to poke its head up any minute. And you know why? Uh, you know where? You know it's coming. But they're trying everything else in the meantime. It's really, it's right. really odd. Yes, it, that's what it feels like here. It's still there, but it's ambient. Yeah, it, it, it's a bit like uh, George Floyd in the summer of 2020, right? Mm. So I, I put a post on Telegram about this a couple of weeks ago where it, it feels to me not like COVID has ended, but that we're just going through a prolonged version of what we did in the summer of 2020. So remember in the summer of 2020, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. it came out and that became the story for a couple of months. And COVID restrictions were still there, but the consciousness wasn't there. The consciousness of the public changed. So they were not really... It, suddenly now racism was the pandemic <laughs> that had to be fought, right? And I feel like that's what we're looking at here. I don't feel like we're looking at the end of this process at all. But even if it were the end of COVID, it's never the end of the process, as we've discussed all the way through the two years. So it doesn't really matter. And we can we can talk about some of those other things that I think are going to come up as well. But I don't even think it's the end of the COVID psyop. I think this is like a George Floyd effect, where we're just looking at a a, a couple of months of distraction away. So when it comes back in, it has more impact when it comes back, right? We, we've discussed the Biderman's chart coercion before, and sure. you have to do that. You have to give periods of, of peace, right? You have to give periods of um, relaxation. Respite, yeah. yeah, yeah. Respite, right? Uh, so that's necessary. And I feel like that's what this is. But there is, there's, um, there's a lot of areas which I'd, we can talk about as far as Ukraine. And I just, I mentioned some of them before the invasion happened. Like we did our last podcast, I think in January. And mm-hmm. uh, I discussed some of those uh, things. And, but there's a lot of arms to this. But as far as COVID, it's interesting because China always lead the way, don't they? They led the way on the first one. So then I feel like they're trying to lay down the template again. It does also show us though, that they do batter their own people, right? It's not like the Chinese state is is not, it's just acting. Like they are locking their people down. They are making their own people suffer. They are destroying their own people's livelihoods as well. So it's interesting that they're, they're pretty happy to throw millions of their own people into the fire just to set the technocratic precedent again. Yeah. You know, so they, they have no problem. And because this is something that we see a lot of people talk about China, but of course, a lot of the Chinese people are the most oppressed by China, far more than we are. So it's important that we bear that in mind, too, that they are throwing their own people to the wolves constantly, as all of these groups do. Right. You know, we see it in every nation. So when it will make come back, I don't know. I mean, it does seem a bit unusual for it to be kind of close to summer, doesn't it? I think that's the one thing that's confused me a bit on timing. Right. Okay. I sort of expected COVID to make a comeback. And I, I, I did expect it to make a comeback. But like, you know, winter, autumn, winter, later in the year. So the timing is a bit unusual. Maybe they're going to simmer it for a while like they did the first time around, right? I mean, it was October 2019, it happened and it took six months for it to really hit us. So maybe it's just going to be a simmering effect. They're going to roll Ukraine through the summer like George Floyd. 
and then you know they're going to come right back in sort of autumn I, i'm not quite sure on that one i do think i and i'd be interested to hear what you, how it you were talking about the frustration um and the anger that people are feeling this is something that i mentioned with the george floyd thing too and i really want to know what things are like on your side because putin is being used as obviously the scapegoat for everything that they've done over the last couple of years right so they've destroyed the economy the prices have gone up because they destroyed the supply chains because of mm. lockdowns and vaccine mandates. I mean, we had supply chain issues right from the get-go and it's nothing to do with Russia and Ukraine. It, however, is going to make it worse, right? Like the, those two countries, 29% of wheat production, exports yeah. rather. So it's certainly going to make it worse, but these problems have been happening consistently throughout the two years. So Putin is kind of being propped up as the, the what's the game where you bash bash the doll with the bat and you break you break it for the goodies i know what you mean remember? they use a donkey as well in some countries um i can't, I can't remember, remember. What it's called. no I whatever know what that mean. is putin yeah. is that he's yeah. the doll that you bash to sort of like get your sacrificial anger out on he's the two the minutes of hate isn't he from <laughs> yeah. 1984 that is it two minutes how many minutes but two minutes yeah two minutes of hate that guy isn't he yeah it's uh emmanuel goldstein that's it yeah mm. that's exactly who he is yeah so Putin is then set up to take the to to take the fall for everything that the the globalists have done in the West. Yeah, uh, and then through that process, I think the next phase, which I, I expect to happen within weeks, somewhere between now and June, I I expect another George Floyd type thing to happen. Some some kind of uh, and it could be a Russian person or a Ukrainian person this time. Who knows? But something's going to happen where they can channel the frustration from the, the genuine frustrations people have, the economic depression that's going to come shortly, the obviously mass supply chain shortages, the, the weakening of the dollar, the weakening of the pound, energy prices 150%. You know, it's, yeah. um, people are being squeezed really hard and they need some type of vehicle to channel that rage into. And George Floyd did the same thing in 2020. Like people were locked down for months. A lot of people had lost their jobs. And then they gave the people a reason to go out and riot. But they, were, they weren't rioting because some random guy died in the middle of the Midwest of America. They were doing it because they'd just spent months locked in, losing jobs, changing their life. And it was that, that frustration was vehicled into this random guy in the middle of nowhere who died. Well, think we're going to see something like that very soon within the next weeks or months at the latest somewhere between now and the summer um what it is i don't know but i think they're going to channel all the energy from the genuine oppression that people are feeling into some type of nonsense psyop yeah they're deflecting it, could be, it from themselves aren't they you're, yeah and it could be russia or ukraine from, related yeah they're deflecting it from the actual I mean, you're never going to get to the bloodline families, but they're deflecting it from the politicians at the very least. Obviously, that's where it would have naturally have gone straight to the politicians. So do you, but it has to be I completely agree with you, um, but it has to be quite low brow. People gen have to understand it across the board. And I do wonder if this whole Will Smith thing was a um, I think he's genuinely upset. I think he's genuinely a, a person who's been through a lot. In a sense, his wife's just everybody knows his wife's been having it mm -hmm. off with someone else. I mean, that must be embarrassing. Maybe he did boil over. Maybe it was probably. all set up. Who knows? Um, I, I, I'm I, I <laughs> probably reeling towards the, it was uh, contrived, but he was genuinely gaslit into it um, situation. But um, 
who knows but it would have to be something of that level of understanding for most people to get annoyed about do you know what i mean i mean i think even in russia ukraine was probably a bit highbrow for some people to really Mm -hmm. really understand other than putin bad maybe that's why only really kind of already two or three weeks along people don't give a shit over here in the uk by the way um people aren't that bothered because it's quite complicated Mm -hmm. yeah and and it's 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 a bit closer to home because it's sort of a european country and by sort of i mean it's not really in the traditional sense when people think of europe they think of western europe not eastern europe and also part of the eu which it isn't so it's close enough home to get the reaction but not close enough to really get people riled up right i mean we had in the united kingdom uh, war and our own nation for for decades in northern ireland and yet most people after a little bit of time <laughs> stopped caring about that and that's within the united kingdom so <laughs> um you know what i mean like that's like uh they have the same fucking passports and even then people are just like oh that's just belfast that's just what it's like people just blow blow each other up and then they move on so um yeah so i i I would expect that to be the case i think you know i mentioned i did a video i put a video on social media and on january 27th and i think you and i discussed this and like said in our podcast in january and i mentioned that one of the key things that they were trying to get out of ukraine and russia was the the dropping of the the dollar Mm-hmm. which of course has now happened yeah right but but i said that a month before the invasion happened i knew the invasion was going to happen and i pointed that out that the conflict was necessary but it's not even like it's just contrived it's it's also the fact that they like northern ireland those people have been at war with each other for a very long time like so land territories like this are like that you know it's not like um the irish nationalists and the british nationalists in northern ireland fought because it was just controlled to be so like they they both want the land that they're on so you're going to get conflict and that's the same with russia and ukraine they both want the land that they're on so it's inevitable that that's going to spark up what i do think happened of course is those that control the boundary conditions those that set global policy those that understand that whatever you're going to move in chess you're on my board so it doesn't really matter right it's like you're playing my game so it doesn't really matter whether you move king queen pawn because I own the chessboard, so it doesn't really matter. So that's how conspiracy really works. It doesn't, you know, I'm really tired of seeing these sorts of guys that are like, every single person is in on it. Like, that's impossible. It would be literally impossible for every single person to be in on a conspiracy. Um, It's not, of course, how it works. It's just those that control the affairs and the conditions know that they set the parameters, right? Like, A is good and B is bad. And I've told the, the world that A is good and B is bad. So therefore, you're going to go with A and not B because I've convinced everyone that A is good and B is bad. That's how the conspiracy works. So then everyone naturally just goes into A because everyone thinks B is bad because you've brainwashed them for a century to say B is bad. And that's really how it works. So then people naturally will just go with what the weather ocean sails. So when it comes to Putin, I don't believe that Putin and Ukraine was staged, but I know for a fact that everything around it was set ready. It's like, okay, this is gonna pop off, fantastic. Because as soon as it popped off, they dropped the dollar, as I said a month before, they moved closer to China, as I expected and I also said, because of course China is the technocracy leader. So pushing Russia towards China was was necessary. But it's also like these power blocks, you know, um, 
I struggled for some time to understand why uh, people like Rockefellers and Rothschilds fund, say, the Soviets or the Nazis and the British and Americans at the same time. You know, it was a confusing one to me for some time. But then I realized, I mean, I know it's about control, but you can control. It just seems like a messy way to control, right? Like it's, it seems like a really, really overly elaborate way to control. Like, why wouldn't you just make everything one unit, like a one world governance system? Like to create all these different tyrants and dictators seems very messy. But then I understood it in the terms, in the sense of power blocks, and then it makes sense. Like if you have just West as one power block, and East as one power block, well, then you're not controlling 200 nations, right? You're controlling two, just two yes. power blocks. Yep. The Anglo-West, what we'll have is the EU as a central point. So we'll have the, the West, Britain, America, Canada, Australia, and their allies. Then you'll have the EU in the middle, and then you'll have the East, and it'll be like three power blocks. West, German, Franco, and R Russo, China. Mm -hmm. And then you're really just controlling three power blocks to control the world. And then it makes sense why they're edging uh, Putin towards China to, to secure that third power block, which is run by their, of course, their technocratic model in China. So now then it all starts to make sense. Like, great, now we have three power blocks and two of them, the EU and the East, are already full-on technocracies, yeah. apart from Russia itself. So like so, in, in that terms, then, so you would so say you had one power block, one more government. Yeah. You, you, you would not be able to do much in the sense of like natural, the natural flow of evolution there. You would, it would be evolving out of your power because you only have one. So by having two or three blocks, you can play them off against each other. You need mm. that ability to play them off. You know mm. what I mean? So you can't play the game if you've only got one player. You need right. to have two or three players in there to be able to kind of control the, wherever it happens to go in the future. Would that make sense or am I kind of... No, I think that makes total sense. And, and, and that's why the global governance rather than world government is really important mm. because global governance does happen with the power blocks. You don't need a world government, right? You can, the new world order as such as global governance can already work with three power blocks. So therefore, like for all we know, it could be complete without there being a world government. And then everyone's waiting around thinking, oh, there's a world government coming any moment. It's like, no, dude, it was completed a decade ago. That's what <laughs> I get the feeling of. I get the feeling of that almost like we're waiting for the, the Messiah of the new world order. And it's been here a long time, even way sure. before we were born. And this isn't something that's coming. This is something that's always been. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I believe that. I, I completely get on board with that. I, I believe that we're looking for a phantom here. Mm. And also governance is a process, not a destination, whereas government is a, mm. is, a, is, a, is, a, is a destination. So government is a definitive, but governance is a, is a movement, right? You're governing. So what that really tells us in the linguistics is that global governance is already happening now, which of course it is. Otherwise you would never have had a worldwide shutdown through the World Health Organization. So we already have it. We just don't know what percentage it's at yet. Like, is it 20% global governance? Is it 30% global governance? Is it 50%? I would be, I think it's it's reasonable to say it's about 50%. I would say we're about 50% global governance in the world right now. Okay. Um, so therefore, again, so yeah, we, we were thinking that it was, and I really made this mistake too for many years. And I think most people in the so-called truth com community did, which is like, it's a line, right? Like we're here and then we're going to be here. But it, but it isn't. It's a destination. And when we've been in global governance for at least a century, I mean, you could argue since Babylon, but let's just say a century. Sure. Uh, OK, so, yeah, now we're at 50 percent. 
from that century. And then we're thinking, all right, so we're going to cross the line, but we never really will and never really have crossed the line. We've just been moving. So the, the nature of global governance has changed through the decades. Yes, I think as it's become, you know, it's, it has, it's become more sophisticated because I think the way that they envisioned it a century ago was a, was a different world. And also, I think they've adopted more of the technocracy aspect. So technocracy being the science of social engineering. Sure. I think that's the aspect that they've adopted much, much more as time has gone on. Like it's less jackboot to the throat and more controlled by social engineering. Do you, do you um, think that there's an element, Mark, of like, I mean, there's a book called The Next A Million Years. If you, I'm sure you've heard of this book by Charles Galton Darwin, Darwin's mm-hmm. nephew, out in, eight, um, it was 1887, I believe it was. And it's an incredible, I'd never heard of this till recently, um, this book. And it's an incredible book to to look at, especially as it's pre a lot of the stuff. But basically, I would do Klaus Schwab for plagiarism if I if I was still alive and I was Charles Cohen, because it's it's blatantly clearly what it is. I mean, this this actually sure. looks more um, eugenics and the population control, but it has every element of what would happen over the next million years, and it maps all of this out. But as you say, they were for this guy to be able to write this back then, it was already in place. It was just the nature of what he was talking about was going to change. And this is how the government governance is going to change. This is what you're kind of saying, I believe is going to change over the next million, he said a million years, but you know, he was probably pissed, but he, um, but he, what he meant was the nature of how we control you is going to change. Not that we control. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's just an evolution in of itself, right? The actual governance changing is an evolution, but I think that's something we really have to, we have to get a grips on this kind of issue of stopping waiting for the, the moment that it's going to happen, right? Because the moment has actually already passed. We're just halfway, like I said, we're at 50% of the rate of where it needs to be or where they expect it to end. Mm. And if we think that um, 2050 is supposed to be the end of Agenda 21's framework, so let's say that's 100% by 2050. Well, 2030 might be 75%, right? And right now we're at 50%. And But, you know, the point is, is that we can't wait for, oh, 100%, because we'll never notice when that 100% has actually been achieved. Now, I said this, I did the presentation a few weeks back in, uh, in Montana, and I was explaining that we got so accustomed to totalitarianism that we don't even know how far it's already gone. Like, that's how used to it we've, we've got, that we think we're still waiting for it when we're already halfway, <laughs> halfway in the yeah. process. Yeah. And that's the scary thing, and that's the science and social engineering aspect, that even those of us who are supposedly awake have fallen for the trap. We think that we're something's going to come that we've already been in. They're already in. Like our ancestors, 1950s, uh, Britain or America, would look at now as dystopia that mm. you're in right now. This would be dystopia. Forget about 2030 or 2050. Right now is dystopia compared to what our grandparents lived through. You know, so I I, I feel like that urgency is needed because. I think the waiting for, for the moment is what's going to kill us, to be honest. It's actually understanding that you're already in it now. It's just going to get worse, but, you, but it's in. Global governance is already in. Yeah, and I feel like that that's the point I was trying to kind of maybe articulate and I wasn't doing a very good job of it, with the Great Reset being the Klaus Schwab out the front poster boy yeah, version right. of this and the Great Transition no one ever really talks about 
which is the Rockefeller version of this, which includes a one world uh, religion, by the way, um, mm-hmm. which I'm sure, I know you know about. Um, but no one talks about that because a, a great reset implies that it's going to happen overnight and you'll see it coming. And in right. the background, it's bubbling along with the transition. Yeah, it's an important point, too, because it's transition. You know, again, like governance is a process mm. and reset is a moment. The moment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're right. It is. And it is a transition. It is a governance. It's not. It, and I think if we look at like the everything that's happened in the last couple of months, you know, my initial theory on why they rolled back COVID was because and I still maintain this because a lot of it has already happened, right? My initial theory that I said to you a few months back was that the economic depression and the shortages are going to get so bad that if they were pushing people on COVID at the same time, people would snap. So they had to let go of the reins to let people think that they're free while they're being squashed economically and through food and poverty and depression, right? So, because you can't push too many buttons at the same time. So, and I still maintain that because that's how it seems to have rolled out. Three months after we would had that conversation, that seems to be where we are, right? Energy, 150%, food, 50% up, petrol, God knows how much, you know? So um, it seems to be that they're going through that process now of the what all of it was about, right? Which is the destruction of the economy and the, the supply chains. But again, people are waiting for that reset like a moment when, yeah, it, it's already been a transition of just breaking down and we're still in the breaking down part but it's not just going to all end. It's I think people expect like there'll be a cyber blackout, which there very well might be, by the way. But then the lights will come back on and we'll be in the new world order. Mm. And of course, that's just not how it works. You're just going to continually degrade unless you stop it from degrading, right? And I think that um, maybe they'll bring COVID back in when the economics and the shortages have done their rounds first, which was my original theory. I'm just curious to see what happens next with that rage and that frustration when people having to choose between paying electric bills and heating bills or food. Um, it's going to be extremely devastating. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And, and that was quite clear. Do you think that like, do you think a lot of clever people, people that I kind of look up to in a way of, of different areas of understanding, um, I'm kind of looking dip in here and I dip in there and all over the place and I like to look at it all but I wouldn't call myself a expert in any of it I'm still very much learning as I in every way I ask you a million questions at a time um, but people some people in the psychology um, realm if that's the thing think that Putin lost the plot and he lost his marbles and went for it is that the case or was he in on it or was he pushed into it or did he realize that he's actually I'm in here now and this is my I'm going to have to do this. And then he kind of did that in a bit of rage. What do you think was going on here? Because it seems to be, you know what I mean? You can look at everybody's in it. And as you said earlier, that's that's clearly not the case. That can't happen that way. But what is happening with someone like Putin when he goes and does that? I mean, the timing was brilliant if he wasn't. But did he lose it? Did he lose the plot? Is he that type of person? I mean, what was your take on, on what happened there with him specifically? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it... It doesn't have to be an either or, right? It can be all mm. of the above. And I think it is a situation with him that it is an all the above. Yeah. You know, so we know that he was extremely close to Henry Kissinger, who was a, anyone listening to this podcast doesn't need, we doesn't need any explanation on Henry Kissinger. Klaus Vab, of course, was actually mentored by Henry Kissinger yeah. too. And of course, Henry Kissinger was mentored by David Rockefeller. Uh, it almost always goes back to David Rockefeller, at least with 
global governance sure. as far as the gender. So in this case, Putin is, we have a lot of record to prove that he's in on various uh, tribes of people that aren't particularly, you know, aren't particularly good, aren't on our side, right? He's, he's in the banking, he's in the globalism, he did all the COVID-19 stuff, just like everybody else. Mm. You know, it's interesting to me because a lot of people in the West look at Putin as some type of heroic figure fighting globalism. When I live in South Dakota and we had a lot more freedom than Russia did during COVID-19, you know, and that's the reality. And it almost is like that thing. And David has been talking about this for a really long time, of course, which is it's almost like that they've made Western people hate themselves so much and hate their own nations and institutions so much that they're literally looking to a dictator on the other side of the world to free them. Okay. Right. There's a lot of people, by the way, doing this in, in like, there's a lot of uh, a lot of people in the West who look at Putin as an anti-globalist force, basically, is my point. Yeah. Um, now, the point that I was trying to make is that Putin could be all those things. So he is on the side of the globalists for some things. He's also anti them on other things. He's anti-NATO, obviously. He's anti-colonization um, of the Middle East and many other things. But he is also a bit insane because anyone in these situations, in these positions, is a bit insane. And I do think that he somewhat, he just took the opportune moment. You know, if we think of it sort of like geostrategically, he took a, an opportune moment, which he couldn't have taken before or after, right? Like he couldn't have done it two years ago when Trump was in power. The, the US government had less debts, less social fabric dissolution, because America, like everywhere, has been battered over the last couple of years. Sure. So, America just even two years ago was much stronger than America now. And the same with the United Kingdom, same with a lot of places. So in that sense, I think Putin was just taking an opportune moment. The West is at its weakest point it's been in perhaps centuries. So I'm going to take the moment because, you know, they have a bumbling uh, mess of a president who can't do anything. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, there's a lot of that. I think he chose his moment. But again, you know, the Ukraine... They've been, there's a lot of conflict that's been happening in the borders. Like they've been, there are stories that they've been killing ethnic Russians for the last eight years, since 2014, setting houses on fire, throwing bombs at Russians on the eastern side of the country. A lot of these militias have been actively killing Russian people. So, you know, I think he just went in and snapped. So I think it's all the above. But I, I suppose for me, I try to focus on how it affects us and how it affects the global agenda more broadly, you know? Um, and I think as it affects things more broadly, it's really about that dropping of the dollar, which, you know, I talked about a couple of months ago. I feel like that is the ultimate thing. It's the, the erosion of America's dominance on the global stage and yeah. the bringing in of, the, of that new, no superpower, really. Because China are not really going to be able to replace America. This is the important thing. Like, they want China to lead the East and stuff, and they want China to be a global leader. But China is, does n is not 1950s America. China does not have the ability, the military ability, the economic ability, or the production um, talent and ingenuity that 1950s America had. It just doesn't. It's not even close. It doesn't have the, the, all the population with the white picket fences and the strong faith in God. It, it doesn't have any. The rest of the world doesn't look to China to say, oh, that looks good. I'd like to be like them. They go, fucking <laughs> exactly. hell. 
exactly yeah. Yeah, so it, it, it just can't, it's just not possible that it can take the, sorry, I'm going to call, it's just not possible that it can take the place of what America did after World War II, which is take over the world, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I think is just going to happen is you're just going to have, as Klaus Schwab said in the 2030 v- uh, video that everyone knows about, you'll learn nothing and be happy, right? Well, there's another scene in that video where it says it's 2030 and a collection of nations rule. U.S. is no longer the the top nation. So we know that this always had to happen, this this degradation is bringing down of America. And I think China will be posited as a leader, but there won't be a the leader. Because again, like I said, they're not capable of being the leader that America was in the 20th century. So what's going to happen is you're going to have like America being kind of a a weaker leader but you'll have china as perhaps a bit of a stronger leader you'll have a bit of russia you'll have a bit of the eu so you'll have these power blocks but ultimately but those three power blocks as we were saying earlier are they in your mind controlled by the same group of oh yeah families oh yeah for so sure. they're playing 100%. them off against each other yeah 100 percent. yeah and the records like prove all this like that yeah. they 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 you know they supported the the communists the Bolsheviks, I mean, they were all Marxists. They were all, um, many of those Marxists, those ethnic Jews from Russia came into America after World War II. The ones that started Bolshevism, the ones that started communism. And so to say, obviously, that every Jew who came from Russia is a Bolshevik. I'm just saying that there was a particular group of them that were, right? And so in this instance, it's all easily traceable that there are various groups that fund all these power blocks, even the Nazis themselves, who were supposedly the enemy of those other two power blocks. You know, yeah. Anthony Sutton has done some fantastic work on this, where um, you can find he was also the mentor of Patrick Wood, who's done a lot of work on technocracy. So Anthony Sutton did some fantastic work, and is pointing out that you know the Rothschilds, Rockefellers funded all three power blocks in this case. You know, the West, the Euro, which is the German in this case, and then the Eastern blocks, the Communists. So, yeah, that's still very much the case today. And of course, they don't care about any of those nations. You know, they don't care about, you know, I, I, I say this to people because I just mentioned, of course, that a lot of these sort of uh, Marxist Jewish people who came from Russia. But I've been pointing this out to people for years. They don't care about Israeli people either. Obviously, you know, they've been punishing Israeli people pretty hard the last couple of years, sure. much more than they have mm. even other nations. So it's not like it's an ethnic thing. What we're just talking about is an ideological group that doesn't really have a, a land or a nation. They don't care about any national land. They just use a, a national land to whatever benefits their advantage, whether that's Israel, whether that's Britain, whether that's America, whether that's Russia, it doesn't matter. So they do sort of fund these power blocks. And I think that's what we, we're going to end up with. Yeah, the West, the Franco-German, the European Union, and the East. But yeah, all playing them off, but very much same people in control. Do you think these, so each individual power block of the three, would they function completely different? Would you have a Brave New World kind of thing? Or would you have, how would that function? Would you have a technocracy in, say, China and, and the US? But, I mean, how would that function? Would they all be different? I mean, or they would be literally different types of worlds that you would be living in. And they would be fight, cut off internet-wise. So we wouldn't be able to communicate between the three, personally, I mean. Yeah, I, I don't quite know, actually. It's an interesting point. 
I, I do foresee that the future would be a definitely a closed, more closed internet, right? Like China has. Mm. So I, I would very, I would be very surprised if five years from now we weren't restricted from accessing information from certain countries. I think that's part of the Russia precedent, right? It set the precedent that we can't access Russian information anymore. Yeah, RT going down. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and also just changing Google search results, changing yep. even DuckDuckGo search results. Um, so that's kind of, and I don't, of course, that's there's many layers to this. On one layer, it is about Russian propaganda, as they would say it. But of course, on another layer, it's really just about blocking off communication with these nations. So now Russia and China, who are going to be their own power block, we have no idea, can't communicate with them, don't know what they're actually talking about. So I think that will become more and more prominent, just as they've sort of blocked us, right? Like content creators, people that, authors, speakers, whatever activists, anyone who has talked about COVID or climate change or whatever, we've been banned from everything too. So I think that they've been setting that precedent, I guess, for many years that, yeah, there's just going to be, there'll be an internet that you can access for everyone, but it's not actually going to be accessed for everyone, right? So it's so not going can... to be the same internet. Well, it's just not anyway. We know that. We know each mm-hmm. individual person's got their own internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mind your internet aren't the same. We know our search engines are, are, are individual. Um, and that's very basic way it is at the moment. But you, you think that basically we, we would be thinking we're create connecting on the same internet, but we're not. Yeah, I feel so like it would be like it'd be like you'd have, let's say you'll have one portal yeah. that everyone in the world can access together, but that one portal will be extremely censored. And then outside of that one portal, you might have individual portals where in the UK you'll have a portal that's less censored, but you you can't use it to reach other people and they can't access it you know so that's sort of how i would foresee it happening and that's kind of what it exists right like we could look at google as that one portal now that everyone can reach but of course it's so censored that not everyone can reach all the information mm. so then you have to go to the you have to go to the arse end of telegram to find some of that information that you can't find on the major portal that everyone accesses so we already have it right i think it would just become a more formal version of what already exists that's almost like a augmented version of consciousness so the more you comply the more the the change the level of the internet you can access so you would Mm -hmm. be complying your way well not up but down to be honest although you'd be being told you're complying your way up so you would think you're ascending in information and knowledge but actually what you're doing is the more you comply you're descending into compartmentalized brainwashing and if you don't comply obviously when it's a technocracy you won't be going anywhere yeah yeah right yeah and that's that's the really interesting thing is that they they, again that science social engineering is really the the heart of it all because that that's what they use to you know if you're if you're changing how people decode their reality right and it's something david talks about you change how people perceive things you don't really even need to control the information anymore, right? Because you've you've kind of hacked the way that they look for value. This is actually why they have spent a century destroying uh, Christianity in the West, is because they've tried to break down the the what we'd call a presupposition. So that's a, an assumption about life. Think of it as an assumption about life. So we all have assumptions about life, right? And the Christian tradition taught us those assumptions were like all people have dignity under God or uh, all people deserve to be um, 
innocence or proven guilty, right? Like all these assumptions we have that come from the Christian tradition. So then if you destroy that, as they've done in many countries, not in America, America is still a very Christian country for the most part, but the rest of the West isn't. Well, then those assumptions, those presuppositions that you had have now been sort of eroded away. So now you're no longer looking at the world with the perception of everyone's a child of God and everyone deserves uh, a trial before being proven guilty. Because now that worldview has been smashed. Now that you've been, you've put something else in that place, which is everyone is guilty until proven innocent now. Mm. Right. Uh, because you no longer have the presupposition. So when you suppose something like you suppose you're a white man and therefore you're bad. Well, I I've lost the, the presuppose I've lost that you're a child of God sure. and therefore deserve a trial before yep. being proven guilty. So that's the, in the depth and the importance of philosophy that most people, um, most people have missed. And it isn't just religion that gives you that any, any good philosophy across time has given us that. Um, but the point is, is that by, by roading that, you've kind of taken away how people look at the information and then decipher the data, decipher the information. Like I'm looking at a guy, but I've lost the, the presuppose. So now when I suppose I, something else has been slotted in that presupposed place and that something can be globalism, right? It can be technocracy, it can be climate change, it can be LGBT, whatever. Right. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of where we are, right? So my bigger concern, even more than the politics, is that, is that they've, they've destroyed God in most people's minds. Yeah. And now they, there's a vacuum there that's going to be filled either by themselves or it's going to be filled by something else, but it's, well, it's still going to be filled. Like the work of David Livingston. Um, well, I've been reading quite a lot and I spoke to you about him, um, about his, he was talking about one of his early books was the dying and rising God. That seems to be a kind of metaphor or a version of what you're talking about. Then they've killed God. God is dead. This whole God is dead thing. And it's nihilism and it's nothing really matters at all. Then you build yourself up into your version of God. And well, obviously we see that on social media all the time. That's what social media is, is you're building your own avatar. You're building your own reflection, but you're actually mm-hmm. living vicariously through what I believe is actually transhumanism, not just the technology part of it being transhumanism, which is obviously going to be part of it. But I think we're already, we're already transhumans. I think that's happened since the invention of the internet. I think the transhuman one of you is your internet um, profile mm. and that's your transhuman. And most people would rather like kid, not us because we're older and we were there before we, we transhumaned, if that's a word, but kids would rather possibly would have a met- emotional breakdown in the real world as their, as their real human. If their online transhuman was switched off, taken out, died. Mm. Do, do you know what I mean? They're feeding their transhuman all the time. And now right. they're living, they're living avatars. They don't live themselves. They watch themselves. They're, they became the watchers, but the watcher of the God that they created themselves, which is the transhuman version of themselves. And that's why my I'm kind of looking at this philosophy at the moment that I'm sort of working on in my own mind, but also writing it out that we are already in transhumanism. And that's yeah, but it but it's it's a psychological transhumanism, not a biological biological transhumanism, which is coming, which is going to probably connect the two. But the psychological part is important. And what you said earlier about the Christian thing, it was really interesting to me because I ask you things about the Christian faith all the time, and um, and kind of what I want to ask you is really is yes, that that's one. a yeah, I haven't read it. I've watched a lot of his videos 
and um, I think he's a great author as things that I don't agree with him about but yeah yeah but, but that part and a lot of what he says I very much do yeah but with a Christian Lynch. with a Christian faith yeah um by taking it literal Jesus yep. walked here and he went there and he did this I feel like what you were saying earlier by getting rid of the real meanings the mythological meanings the esoteric meanings the occult meanings of the real lessons the lessons that are to be learned and then the real value in that text by taking it literal that's they've kind of purposely killed it off because as a literal sense it is absurd and so is gnosticism absurd if you think yeah well really there is a demiurge and he created this fact i i don't see them any more absurd on a literal they happened in this reality world but right. i see but by doing that does that not negate the actual lessons you could possibly learn from there? You just think that's just fucking weird. And you just throw the baby out the bathwater. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a, again, it's not an either or yeah. situation. So like Jesus can be literally real and yet the lessons can still be applied in your life as opposed to being external. Right. So in this case, um, um, Aristotle, who I have here, this is Aristotle. I love them, by the way. They're great the king of Greek philosophy. Um, he has some great quotes here. Um, we're a, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. Mm -hmm. Now, so this is Aristotle. This is Jesus. I have Plato. I have many different uh, Western traditions here, mostly Greek and Christian, which is what makes up our civilization, really. Um, now, Aristotle was a real man. Who, but yet what really matters is the teachings that Aristotle gave us, not Aristotle himself, right? Like what matters is the, the eternal universal truths that he gave us, right? So in that sense, I feel like that is what is missing with Christ is that people spend more time looking at him rather than looking at what he told you to do and told you to focus on. Mm. Um, the salvation really comes from that. Think So, you know, I mentioned to you, once i think one of one of our podcasts we did before um jesus says that you'll you'll know them by their fruits right and that's sure. one of the most important aspects of the bible why that's really important is because what he's basically saying is we go we can look at that with modern eyes and he's saying that you'll know them by the evidence by the actions by what they produce right so if you were to get trapped in puritanism the problem with american christianity is it comes from puritanism it comes from the protestant puritans which basically looked at things like greek philosophy as idol worship and um so that's why a lot of american christians are very um if it's not the bible it's bad it's because they they're descended from the puritans which were basically 1609 arrived from england and were the people that said anything other than what's in the bible is is idol worship so that's that where would be, that would be literal what's in the bible though so yeah, they're, they're talking what literally in the Bible, as if you're watching a movie and Jesus got one day, put his socks on, I don't wear socks, got sandals. He put his, his frock thing on one day, went out, went to the shops, went down to Astor, got a can mm -hmm. of beer, wandered around the city. You mean it's literal, but, but clearly there's a lot of pagan mythology and they've created a, not just with him, with Moses, with all of these characters, there seems to be possibly a real person there that taught some very simple truths. Mm -hmm. and, and we know simplicity you can't monitor that if you can't monitor simple truths monetize sorry you can't monetize simple truths because we all know them so it seems like they've created a convoluted by getting bits and bobs from different mythologies and, and, and making a composite character that they've bunged over possibly the real man 
and confuse people on purpose. And that's what I'm kind of getting at. The, mm-hmm. the do unto others, just treat people how you want to be treated. By your mm-hmm. fruits, you will know them. Just look at their actions. These are simple things that you can't possibly monetize and control people through because we all understand them. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, and, it's, and that's the presuppose that we're talking about. So if you remove... If you remove those universal truths from people's philosophy, so you destroy, in this case, the philosophy of Christ in Western civilization, well, people lose those very important mechanisms to decipher them. So now I've lost that important mechanism of I should judge people by their actions, or I should look at the value of what they produce. I should look at the evidence and determine whether this person's a good person. Well, a lot of people have lost that because they've lost the entire thing held that up right and this is the mistake that western people have made you think not you just in general Mm. um that we can take a we can take something out of it right so this is uh this is the issue that i see in the new age a lot we think that we can say hey we should love everybody i agree but you've taken a concept without grounding it and why we should do that concept right like now i've lost the, in, the entire thing of why I should do that concept. Okay. And we do this, like, they've done this with Aristotle too, like um, in the Enlightenment, uh, the so-called Enlightenment, Aristotle had four causes uh, of what makes reality reality, and they dropped two of his four causes. So they dropped final and formal causation. Okay. And what that basically means is final causation is the purpose of why something is what it is. So for example, um, you know, the two that the scientists in the West kept were called efficient causation and material causation. So efficient being the process, like I build a house, the process of building a house. So they said that's scientific. And then the house itself made of bricks and mortar, that's the material, that's scientific. But they dropped the other ones. The formal one is the blueprint, essentially. Like like what is the structure that makes a house a house? And the final one is the purpose. Like, what's the point of a house? Well, it's for me to live in. Now, what, the reason I say that is because this is what they've done to Christianity too. They've, they've, they've pulled aspects out and left some aspects in. And what they did with Aristotle is that they, then science became scientism in the Enlightenment because they removed the two really important things of his causes, which is the, the reason you build something, and the, uh, which is the purpose, and the the blueprint of what that thing really is right it's not just material like it's not just bricks and mortar like all houses are house-like right even though they could look completely different so what is that thing that makes a house a house it's the blueprint it is the the structure and then what's the ultimate purpose of a house for me to live in right like that's the purpose so i know it's a bit of a long-winded way of saying it but these things are like these things are pillars of our evolutionary history we've evolved the way we evolved because of these pillars and what they've done is they've taken certain parts out and then they expect that it's still going to work but it can't work right if you just have material causation this is where we are where we are now because people think matter is all that exists and aristotle said no matt you know there are four not two right that there is a, a there's a spiritual universal thing that's inside the matter that's why all houses are house like and losing that means that we can no longer decipher the world anymore. Like yeah. when we look at information, we're not reading it properly. We're, we're reading it through half lit eyes, basically. Mm. And this is what, so when you look at like the, uh, uh, 
the orthodox christians the apologetics and the ones i love and they're very much it's just not in there and it's not literal but mm-hmm. what you've just you've talked about there is kind of like if you've got neoplatonism which we've been looking at and in that round the bottom it, it's the solid um world as we're in the materialism but what you're saying what they've also appeared to be done and to get your take on this is not only have they got rid of them first two principles they've made them exclusive to one person that you can only get to through that one person if you follow them right 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 and and that's that's actually the the point sorry i forgot that's the point i was actually trying to make is that um aristotle would himself admit that he doesn't own those four Mm. causes right that these we're not supposed to like Aristotle didn't want people to actually build statues of him necessarily. I like I I liked him because I like the reminders of sure. the 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 higher parts of who we are as people. Um, but the reality is is that what he was just trying to what he did, and I still believe he was the smartest man that ever lived. He 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 broke into the deep category of reality and said, "This is like how logic and mathematics work. This is actually the process. This is the true function of the universe." These four causes is an example of that, but there's there's many other he put together. And then really what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to take that and go, fantastic, thank you. I have a structure of understanding how reality really works. And, um, you know, Jesus himself said that you'll go on to do greater things than I. Yeah, and exactly, his, yeah. his, his purpose was to say that I'm giving you the tools to connect to your, to your father, your creator, right? I'm here to show you the way to, cre- to connect to your creator. And this is the way. Here are the tools. Right. And um, that's that's what you're supposed to do. I, I look at it as a bit of a cop out, mate, if I'm going to be honest, like a lot of these people, they, they cop out of the hard work that he told them to actually do. <laughs> so they're like, hey, if I just beat you with a Bible, I won't actually have to do the things he told me to do. Yeah, because they often find that everything that, that they're um, talking about and preaching, literally, they they are the even in the tone of the voice, the delivery of it is the opposite of what they're saying it's like mm-hmm. saying it's like killing me softly it's like strong words softly spoken it's like saying fuck you in a, in a, in a beautiful angelic voice still <laughs> yeah, fuck you yeah. i mean it's, it's passive aggressive isn't passive it? aggressive yeah. that would be the yeah. best way i put it yeah mm. and it is and it's like you look at it and you think yeah. no there's there, there's nothing there's something wrong here there's something incredibly wrong here missing and mm. i i find that disturbing and i find it disturbing that that when people believe these things that jesus did or moses did and and they know that some of this is mythology moses was in the basket was king sargon we know that these bits have taken from other bits and they're amalgamation i see them as an amalgamation i'm not saying jesus wasn't a real person i tend to believe he was but then there's the character and the mythology and then there's the person and i see them as two different things at the moment i'm Mm -hmm. very i I have only started to look in these things the last seven or eight months but but how can you look at turning water into wine walking on water and all these things. Don't know how Jesus ever had a bath. Can you switch it on and off? And um, But then look at the Gnostics and say, that's weird and that's mental, thinking that we're controlled by the demiurge and we live in the Matrix. To me, they're both equally mental and weird. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I don't believe in either of them. But as sure. a logical person, I'm standing in the middle going, they both sound mad to me. I'm not saying I don't know. I don't know anything for sure other than I'm chatting to you. Um, but... Don't you can't tell me that both of them aren't supernatural and mad hmm. and equally absurd? Do you know what I mean? The, yeah, well, so yeah, there's natural law and there's supernatural law, which are actually different, right? So natural law is what Jesus mostly taught, which is about um, how to treat people and uh, how to um, how to be in the world, how to be 
have peace in the world. That was mostly what he taught. I sent you the, mm. the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. Right. Um, and like, there's no way you can read that and then take from that. Oh, what I'm supposed to do is like go beat people in the head with the Bible. Like he told you explicitly, very clearly, like what you're supposed to do. <laughs> like you're supposed to have love in your heart. You're supposed to seek righteousness. You're supposed to be a peacemaker. Like, and yet people will not actually do the things, right? They won't do the things he told them to do. So how does that why... correlate with the Ten Commandments then? One the... the word commandment sounds a bit like, hang on a minute, but well, this is where the uh, so many of the early Christians who were Gnostic leaning. Right, which is different to the Gnosticism that you're talking about here, because yeah. there's there's uh, we'll have to have a separate conversation about because it it's a deep subject. We did try to do it once before, didn't we, a while ago? Yeah, there's a um, schism there, isn't there? Yeah, but yeah, no. So, but the early Gnosticism was not the Gnosticism that people think of Gnosticism today. Is my point? It was a yeah. uh, it was it was actually more like what I am, which is a Christian mystic. That's more what Gnosticism was then. And um, um, so, basically, what it was really about is that. Uh, you know, there's this, there's this other layer of reality, which of course there is, which is much more true than the physical one that we're in, which I believe. And that kind of goes back to what Aristotle was saying, that the purpose of the house is more real in a sense than the material that makes the house. Mm -hmm. Like the reason the house exists in a sense is the most real thing. Yet that's intangible spiritual, not bricks and mortar. So um, yeah, there are eternal deep truths in, in all of those things. I guess what I would like to see, where I'd like to see us get to, is be able to look at these things on their merit across, across a spectrum, rather than looking at them as a competitive uh, philosophy in that case. You know, I'd like us to get to a place where we could go, there's a lot, there's so many areas of merit that we could look at here. Um, that's where I'd like to get to. But I, I, so in that sense, though, I think the, the purpose, though, you know, the, those that control the nature of our world, our physical world, you know, they, they, all they really care about is what's in their interests. So in the terms of the Christian tradition, it doesn't really matter to them whether someone takes it literally or not. All they care about is we want to end the family unit and Christianity tends to breed big families. So it has to go, right? We, we want to kind of break down the, the, the understanding that I'm a man and not a woman, right? So, uh, and the Christian tradition kind of has all these principles within it that are very against the interests, of course, of a transhuman technocracy. So, you know, it doesn't necessarily make it true. Of course, I believe it's true, but it doesn't necessarily make it true just because it's not in their interests. And this is a mistake that people also have, like, you have to really think of that logically again like just because they're against it which they are openly doesn't mean it's true though yeah it just means it's not in their interests it just means that their interests are going in a different direction for example trump i think it's really hard to admit that they weren't against trump in so i mean you know if you even just looked at trump in european uh parliaments look at him with and angela merkel look at him with boris johnson they were uncomfortable it was awkward they were never happy to see him they were never saying they want to work together with him. As soon as Biden comes in, Boris Johnson was like, I'm looking forward to working with him on climate change. Mm. That doesn't mean, though, that Trump is on our side. That doesn't mean that Trump is a moral man. It does mean, though, that their interests are not aligned with a lot of what Trump was doing and who Trump is, right? So that's also a position I'd like us to get to at some point where we could start looking at those things like really rationally and go, yeah. okay, so they are actually against Trump. But that doesn't mean Trump is necessarily good. Yeah. It just means that their, their interests aren't aligned. 
I think that's the danger of, of conspiracy research is to oh, yeah. literally our black and white thing. And I think that's been done on purpose for, for a long time. And we all fall into, I fell into it. Um, this is bad. This is good. And that's where they try and push you in that direction. Obviously, we know that these polar opposites. But this has been fascinating. We, we are literally up to the time. But guys, I hope you've really enjoyed this because I love the way that these go off. We covered a lot of amazing ground here. But this yeah. is this philosophy is, is fantastic to chat to someone like yourself as well. So, Mark, where can people find your your work as well and get involved with what you're doing at America 21? Yeah. So website America 21 century dot com um that's pretty much the best place of course you can find me on facebook and telegram and stuff and obviously you know make sure you subscribe to the podcast if you're on if you're listening to this on spotify or apple or whatever um because we're going to keep doing these every now and then next time we'll i suppose what we might want to do rich is we, we might want to do like a philosophy special yeah um because i i didn't expect to spend the second half like going off the rails because so. <laughs> <laughs> i was going to talk about some of the other stuff that was going on but um so we'll have to do like a, a special on that, on those subjects. Cause yeah, I, I love those subjects. I much prefer talking about that than, than conspiracy or politics. It's just, you know, people obviously want to hear what's current and what's going on, don't they? Yeah. It's, it, but again, what we were trying to, what we do is you end up going to the first two principles of Aristotle and trying to explain what the blueprints are and the why. And that's kind of where we kind of, you rear off to. And I think me and you are very aligned on that. We actually find that far more satisfying and enriching than the down-to-earth materialistic nuts and bolts of who's having a go at who so it's difficult not to go that way but yeah we do we do we're still finding our way but guys i hope you enjoyed across the pond and we'll see you in a month's time and please do share this take care goodbye cheers guys Bye.